Good morning. I love that we do that. Um, if you were not with us last week, you miss, missed a big day. Uh, I encourage you to get online and listen to the message that Gary Ely brought and the uh, information he shared at Bible class and also the Q&A in the evening uh, about our building next door. Just a lot of good information and stay tuned because you're going to be hearing more. You may notice the bright si sunshine coming in through the windows this morning. You know, that's every week, but this morning I noticed back in the corner it was extra bright because C.T. Johnson is back with us. And this whole room is glowing. CT, we're, we're, he's giving us away. We're, we're so grateful. And then uh, when you're out, we miss you. Uh, and we're glad that, that you're back. For the next several weeks, we're going to study several people in the Old Testament and how they conquered giants in their lives. Obviously, David comes to mind when we think about um, slaying Goliath. And we may not face a physical giant, but we face other kinds of giant like, like fear and guilt and lust and pride. And we're going to look at different people and how they dealt with those. We're going to begin with the giant of fear because that's something even our children understand, but adults, we are not exempt as well. Now, we all know the English word phobia. You know, and there are all the different kinds of phobias. I looked online to get some lists. It just means a, a fear of something. And the list is endless. I thought, I'm going to share a few. And oh my, they went on and on and on. But you know, like acrophobia is a fear of heights. Uh, different from aerophobia, the fear of flying. Arachnophobia, you know that one? Fear of spiders, that's a good one. Claustrophobia, that's the fear of closed spaces. And there are some fears we deal with even at church on Sunday. Uh, usually when someone is uh, about to get baptized, I will ask them if they are afraid of water. I've learned that that's a good thing to ask. There's a word for that, aquaphobia. How many of you have ever experienced bredophobia? That's when you open your little communion packet and you find the bread is missing. And from then on... You're kind of afraid. I'm not making this up. Has that ever happened? Some of you, yeah. There's another one, smushtophobia. When you're trying to make your way through this door, going to the coffee time, you're going to be squeezed. Or coffee timeophobia. The sermon goes on and on and on, and you're not going to get your coffee before class. Of course, yeah. <laughs> now, none of those are real, right? None of those are real. But fear's real. And it's not just children with monsters under their bed. It's grown men and women. We still have fears. The story of Gideon is a great example of a man who overcame fear. And I think his transformation to trust God can encourage all of us. I need to say a quick word in, in precepts. We're studying the book of Judges. And those of you in the Wednesday night class, you're going to think, oh, good, I got this. And you do. And so when you get to small groups tonight, you're going to be so well equipped to help in that discussion. Uh, and to those that we're meeting this afternoon at 5, don't, don't worry. We're just going to hit the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to go much deeper in our class tonight. But open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. I want you to see how this uh, plays out. It's, the verses are also going to be on the screen. But let me begin by giving a little bit of background just for the sake of time because I don't want you to miss your coffee. For seven years, Israel had been struggling through a period of 
intense oppression. Now, it was their own fault. They had rebelled against God, but that doesn't mean it was not bad. In fact, it was very, very bad. The Midianites and the Amalekites weren't just ruling over them. They were barbarian in the way they did it. I mean, the Israelites could not plant a crop without the the Midianites coming in and taking their goods. They took their cattle. It was so bad. In fact, it was so bad they hid in caves. One commentary was explaining that there was a, an intense desire not to live in your own land, in your own house, but to go and move to a fortified city. That was your only way of surviving during this deep, deep, dark depression, oppression. In Judges chapter 6, 7 and 8, it tells about a man who overcame this giant of fear. Not only must Gideon face the Midianites, he had to come to grips first which is what was needed to rely on the Lord and not himself. And that's why the story of Gideon is timeless. And that's why we teach this story to our little ones in Sunday school, and that's why we old ones need it as well. God wants you and me to stop trusting in ourselves and to learn to completely trust in him. That's my hope for each of us. Now, Gideon's circumstances were no, uh, no doubt challenging, and so I want to kind of make a couple of observations, and here's some reasons for him to be afraid, and they cause us to be afraid as well. Here's the first one, discouragement. I remember reading one time, discouragement is, is the devil's golden wedge because he does so much good with discouragement for his cause. Gideon was hiding from the enemy. Look how Judges 6 opens in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Asbarite, while the son of Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now understand what's going on here. A winepress was typically a hole in the ground. That's where they would uh, press the grapes. And they were normally in obscure locations. You didn't need to know where it was. You need to get the job done. So a wine press was not easily seen by others. You may have one, you may have several, and others would not know. But threshing wheat was not done down in a hole. It was done on a high part of the land so that the wind could work with you because you wanted that chaff to be blown away from the wind. So that case, when you were uh, sifting the wheat, you could easily be seen by your neighbors, anyone, even from a distance. So get what the text is telling us here. Gideon is threshing wheat down in the wine press. That tells us how bad it is because he's scared. If he doesn't hide doing this, the Midianites are going to come and take everything from them. But even though he could hide from his enemy, he could not hide from God. And that's what we read here about the angel appearing to him. Look at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That's the ESV. The NIV says mighty warrior. He's calling him a mighty warrior. Now, hiding in a wine press in a time of oppression... It's so doubtful that Gideon is feeling like he's anything close to a mighty warrior. But whenever God calls someone to a task, he does not see them for who they are or even where they've been, but who they can become with faith in him. And sometimes God will call someone for service or an activity or a job, not when they're in the spotlight, but when they're in obscurity. 
Not when they're in the palace of plenty with power, but in the mundane, or even in the difficulty. King David was called out from the sheep. Joseph was in prison. Moses was, had run away to Midian. And here's Gideon in a wine press for fear of the enemy. Even today, it's easier for God to get our attention when we're not standing in front of people, when the pressure's not on them that way. Oftentimes, it's in the mundane. Oftentimes, it's in those times of trouble. Look at verse 13. Look at Gideon's response. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wondrous deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Hear what he's saying here, because it sounds a whole lot like us today. Gideon is respectful, but he's saying, Where have you been, God? I haven't heard from you. You were there with Moses. Why aren't you helping us? And I wonder, as I was reading through this, do you think Gideon is just sort of saying what he's heard the talk among his people? It's been seven long years. And not just that they've got somebody who's over them. It's been oppressive. It's been difficult. It's been hundreds and hundreds of years since God worked through Moses to divide the Red Sea. It's been so long since they've experienced peace. So the question seems to be, what have you done for me lately? Where are you, God? We've not seen you of late. So no wonder Gideon is a little apprehensive when the angel of the Lord appears to him and calls him a mighty warrior. And I say that, I feel like we need to kind of stop and kind of ask ourselves, have you ever felt like that? Or maybe better, when's the last time you felt like that? That God's not hearing your prayers. But nothing seems to happen. And you go back and you read about the effect of fervent prayer, but a righteous man availeth much. And you go, but, but, but I'm trying, I'm praying. In those times, discouragement leads to a feeling of abandonment. We become so discouraged. Is there a God? Is He listening? Is He just sitting on His hands? Gideon was not convinced that God was going to be with him. I want you to see there's a recurring theme in this chapter. We're going to get into this in just a moment and unpack it more. But when you sense or feel the Lord's presence, fear subsides. And it's just the opposite. When you don't feel his presence, that fear can just mount and take over and make you incredibly discouraged. Have you heard people ask similar questions? Is God really listening Are my prayers making a difference? Where was God? Why did he allow this to happen to me? Those are real questions, and they're hard to answer. Because discouragement has the power to zap our faith, and it just pours on the fear. And in that moment, that discouragement just becomes more powerful than any faith. Well, there's another reason Gideon was afraid. And the text is very clear about this. His own feelings of inadequacy. Gideon was not only discouraged by his circumstances, and they were really bad, but also his own feelings of inadequacies. See, he would look around and realize how bad it was because it was so easy to see. But you've done that. You look around and you say, this is bad. But when you add to that a feeling of uh, an awareness, there's nothing I can do about it. 
So when things are bad and you feel powerless, that feeling of inadequacy, it is easy for us spiritually just to spiral downward. And that seems to be where Gideon, who am I? I'm a nobody. I just don't think I'm capable of doing anything to help. I think we've all felt that way. Gideon did not think of himself as a mighty valor, man of valor, a mighty warrior at all. In fact, look at Judges 6, 14 and 15. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? That's an honest question. And what we appreciate about Gideon here is how he's just real. He, he's just laying it out there. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Gideon's very aware of his status, of his station in life. He's got nothing to boast about. He's bringing nothing to the table. It's not like he grabs his sword and goes, I'm ready. I've been waiting for this moment. Not at all. His family was poor. Maybe because Midianites had just kept taking everything they had. His relatives were not powerful leaders. He's the least in the, in the tribe of Manasseh. They get no respect. But here's the message that I want us to get. And this is the message of the chapter. It's the message about Gideon. I'm going to put it on your screen. Write it down, but more so mark it in your heart. The cure for fear is God's presence. The cure for fear is God's presence. God said to Gideon, Judges 6, 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God makes it clear to Gideon, this is not because he's from the right clan, or because he's got the right training, or he's well positioned in any way at all. It's not about Gideon. It's about God. Fear is something that all of us have to deal with at some point. Reminds me of an English teacher went to the high school football coach and said, I've got some bad news for you. Your big football star, Kurt, flunked the vocabulary test. That brings his grade down to the point where he's ineligible to play in the big game on Friday. Well, the coach hated to hear that, said, we've got to get him in the game. I mean, he, he's just amazing. Is there something you can do? But the English teacher would not budge. She was a person of principle, and she said it's his own fault. He said, but you don't understand. He said, Kurt is stronger than any two players combined on the team. The guy does not know the meaning of the word fear. And the English teacher just said, Kurt doesn't know the meaning of a lot of words. That's his problem. <laughs> Did you notice as we talked about this and I gave a little introduction, I listed fears. I had to spend no time. Let me tell you what fear is. We don't have to be taught what fear is. We know what fear is. And sometimes, again, when we're children, when we're young, we realize they're elementary, they're, they're non-existent, and, and, and as adults we know, like, hey, we can, we can help them. But all we do when we grow up, we just exchange those simple, non-existent fears to bigger ones. Real, now, we don't talk about that necessarily. We don't admit that so openly. But every single one of us, we have fears. We do. It's just, it's just the way we're made. God knows that. The important thing to understand and to believe, so it's to understand and believe, is that God is with us. 
That was his message to Gideon. I will be with you. Isn't that what David shared? Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. We know that. We know that. But do we believe that? Fear dissipates when we're in the presence of the Lord. Now, notice how God reassured Gideon. Before sending him to fight the Midianites, God promises him that he will be there with him. Gideon is scared, and rightly rightly so. He's experienced some bad circumstances. And he goes, though, from this coward in the wine press to a commander of the army. And an amazing transformation happens in just a few short verses in these chapters. The Lord will be with him every step of the way. But haven't you found this to be true? I mean, don't you know this is a fact that overcoming the giant of fear is easier when you don't face it alone? Those monsters under the bed just go away when mom or dad come into the room. Isn't it true? It's just that you turn on the lights and it's no longer there. It's easier to hear a doctor's prognosis when someone you love is holding your hand. We can walk in the dark with someone who knows the way. I want us to see that God tested Gideon, though. Well, before he goes to the Midianites, there's something else. Even though the angel of the Lord called him a mighty warrior, the first test would show, does Gideon really believe? Where is he in all of this? Look at Judges 6, 25 and 26. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the asher that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here and the stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with, with, with the wood of the Asherah that you cut down. So God commands Gideon, first and foremost, to cut down his father's uh, Baal altar as well as the Asherah. That was just, all of that was for the worship of the Canaanite gods. And idol worship, you know this, they knew this, had been forbidden from God from day one. They were not to do this. And note, before Gideon was to go to war with the Midianites, he was challenged to stand up to his own family. See, sometimes it's really easy or easier to be brave out there than it is to somebody who's right here. So before he goes and becomes this mighty man of valor, he has to stand up to his own dad. In fact, his own town. His father, even though they had the idols, when the men of the city came to kill him, because that's, that's, how, that's what a big deal this was, his father stood up and said, if Baal really is God, let him deal with Gideon. Well, here's the second test. Hang on, one more before I share that. Have you ever been online and you see something and it has the initials NSFW? Kind of a warning, not safe for work or not suitable for work. I looked that up. That, that phrase, uh, I think it entered uh, the, uh, the site said in, in our Urban Dictionary in about 2003, but after it became used so much, like when Facebook was coming to, uh, uh, about and there would be something posted, 
And if you were at work, it was kind of a warning, like, don't open this, don't click this while you're at work. It's not safe. It's not suitable for work. It became such a thing, it, it, uh, the, uh, the dictionary actually added it. That's what it means. But the, oh, the, the idea is you don't need to see that. You don't want somebody walking by and see your screen while you're at work, which kind of, kind of, Opens the door, if it's not suitable for at work, then it is suitable after work. Almost like there's a different standard. Would it be suitable, men, if your wives were looking over your shoulder at your screen? So I've thought about that little phrase, that little description. I thought maybe it's not suitable for anywhere. Maybe you shouldn't click on it at all. Now, I say that sometimes it might be a, a graphic about a war or maybe something that's kind of hard to look at or maybe something, you know, even that you wouldn't want uh, young children to see in that regard, maybe for adults in that setting. But the whole idea is you shouldn't be a different person at work than you are at home or at school than you are at home or, or at church. You should be the same person everywhere. And is that not kind of what's going on here with Gideon? Before you go out and be the mighty valor out there, got to stand up to your own family. God wanted to know who comes first. And the answer was not family. It was God. Family would come second. But here's the second test we've already alluded to, and you know already, because that's what we remember about the story. Go fight the Midianites. But again, notice that God's specific promise in verse 16 before that challenge. But I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God knows that fear subsides when we realize we're not alone, that God is with us. James 4, 8, draw near to God. Can you finish it? And he will draw near to you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. Well, step back and get the big picture of what's going on here. The Midianites had struck fear into the hearts of God's people. But one man, with no credentials, no special talent, no training, decides to trust and obey. And God worked in him and through him in a powerful way. And yet it wasn't easy for Gideon to just flip the switch. Okay, God said it, therefore I believe it. That, that, that makes for a great bumper sticker, but most of us don't flip the switch that quickly. And this is one reason that we appreciate the story of Gideon because you know what happens next. In verses 36 through 40 records the amazing, uh, the amazing interaction between Gideon and God. God, I know you're going to be with me. I know you're going to save Israel through me. But I've got this little fleece here. And you remember that story. We'll talk about it more in our small groups tonight, how it's wet on the fleece, dry on the ground, and Gideon is bold enough and go, okay, let's do it again, but reverse it. You know, we read this story and go, wow, Gideon is so bold. And yet, don't we appreciate that, though? He's so real. He wants to believe, and yet down deep in his core, he's still struggling. Because we can come to church, and we can read it in our Bibles. We can hear it proclaimed from the stage. We can sing it in our songs. But it's another, in that moment of fear, to say, God, I believe, and to be able to take an, a step of faith in that moment. Then in chapter 7, we read more the details about how the odds are against Israel. The Midianites have 135,000 
Israel has only 32,000. So there's no way they can win this on their own. So what does God do? He lowers the number to 300. It's like it goes from bad to worse. But you see this over and over again in Scripture, how God does this. David the shepherd boy takes down the Goliath. David the shepherd boy, the very one who could not even wear the armor. You remember? Takes down the Goliath, the giant, with just a slingshot. Here God reduced the army to 300. Why? God says so, why? In chapter 7, verse 2, Lest the people say, my own hand saved us. Because that's what you do and that's what I do. That's what we do as people. I did a good job. Look what I did. We do that. We all do that. That's our tendency. Remember what God said, Zechariah 4, verse 6, Not by might nor by power, but by by spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, to make this victory even more incredible, Gideon gave the, the 300 soldiers not weapons of war, but a trumpet, a clay jar, and a torch. It's kind of reminiscent of Jericho, isn't it? It's like there, there's, there's nothing battle-worthy about this. Look in chapter 7, verse 17. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, again, get the setting here. The numbers are 135,000 to 300. My math is right. They are outnumbered 450 to 1. We got about 400 or so, 450 right in here to 1. Does that kind of give you a visual of what's going on here? And earlier, we didn't read this, but you can go back and the description here about the Midianites are described as locusts. Their camels, which made them that much more advantageous in war, were as the sands of the seashore. And the Hebrew word there to describe here is bajillions. I looked it up. It's absurd, isn't it? 450 to 1. God is doing this. The only thing that would make this more absurd is they were wearing blindfolds. God wanted to make sure that they knew, even though Gideon is called a a man of valor, mighty warrior, it was only in the power of God this is going to happen. And somehow, these 300 men are able in faith to say a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And God makes it happen. What an an incredible expression of trust. And God gave them the victory. They didn't earn it. They didn't win it. God gave them the victory. Judges 8.28 says, And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So what does the story of Gideon teach us today? What's our takeaway? How does this relate to our life today? The same God wants to transform you and me from a person of fear to a person of faith, from a person who doubts to a person of trust. Look on the screen, these two verses. I hope you know them already. Mark them in your Bibles, better yet memorize them. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 2 Timothy 1, 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God specializes in turning fear to faith. The Bible is full of stories. He did it with Peter. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. 
He did it with Gideon, and he can do it with you. It's the same God. It's who he is. It's how he works. You know this already. How many times the phrase is found in our Bibles, do not be afraid or fear not? Have you read this before? 365 times. As someone so well said, one for every day of the week, because we need this every day of the week, of the year. Several years ago, a well-known preacher was going through a very hard time, very, very hard time, having many obstacles. And during that time, an older woman at church invited him to come and visit. He was so overwhelmed. He had so much to do. And he had somebody just nipping at his heels. He didn't have time to go visit her, but, but he did. And so he went to her little retirement community where she lived, and they talked for a bit. And then she pointed to a painting on the wall of Daniel in the lion's den. And she said, young man, look at this picture and tell me what you see. He said, I, I looked at this picture and I told her, I said, well, all the lions have their mouths clothed and some, some are lying down. Daniel was standing with his hands behind him. And that's all, all, all I could come up with. And she said, anything else? And he knew he was missing something. She put her arm on his shoulder and said, what I want you to see is that Daniel does not have his eyes on the lions. He's looking at the Lord. Hebrews 12, verse 2. That book written to people who were undergoing persecution. We're told to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is the same mistake we make. We look at what's causing us fear. And the more we look, the more the fear grows. And we forget to look at the God of the universe. We forget to look at our Creator. We forget to look at the God of peace. That's what, that's what He calls Him. That's what Gideon calls Him here. We didn't even talk about that. He's the God of peace. The one who has the power to sustain us. We all have fears. They start when we're young children. And even though we outgrow those childhood fears, we just trade them for bigger ones. Some of you are afraid of making a decision for Jesus. Some of you are afraid of putting Jesus ahead of family, ahead of school, work, your job. You believe in Jesus, but you're afraid you just can't be a completely committed follower. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Some of you want to follow Jesus, but you're afraid of being baptized. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Our song of invitation is to encourage you to face your fears, whatever that is. I hope it starts with realizing your relationship with Jesus. And if you've not yet said yes to him, confess your faith, repent of your sins, been washed in baptism, we have the water ready to help you. And if you're aquaphobic, just tell us. And we can help you through that. God will give you the strength you need. Whatever it is that's making you afraid, if we can just pray for you as you face your fears, to be like Gideon, a man of faith, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage? The Lord bless you and keep you.
Yes.